and welcome to Reliving My Youth, the show where we look back at pop culture from the 70s, 80s, and 90s. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest today is Jeff Russo. Now, Jeff is the guitarist for the band Tonic. He's also an Emmy Award-winning TV composer, having worked on shows as Fargo, which he won the award for, Legion, Counterpart, The Night Of, and Star Trek Discovery. We talk about how he's been able to juggle both roles, and how he got involved with Emerson Hart from Tonic, and how he got involved with his TV work. Now, this interview took place during the summer, so it was before the news broke that Patrick Stewart was coming back to Star Trek, so we didn't have a chance to talk about that, but Jeff, big Star Trek fan, we talk about his influences in his Star Trek work, as well as his other TV work, and I hope you enjoy my interview with Jeff. And helping me relive my youth today is Jeff Russo. Jeff, how are you today? I'm good, thanks. Yeah, how so are you? I'm doing great. Thanks so much for joining me. Um, before we kind of like reminisce and talk about what you're doing now as well, I uh, I saw Tonic over the summer and up on stage, Esther Emerson. I didn't see you. I'm sure you're pretty busy with, with um, all your composer work. How difficult is it to kind of balance both? Uh, it's hard. It's hard. It's gotten harder and harder um, as time has gone by. Same with Dan, um, who also wasn't there. That right. Yeah. That, I'm, that you were that you were at. Um, you know, we've we've both sort of um, started new new ventures and new new things that we've been doing. Um, and with as much work as I've been doing in, in composing, and more and more difficult to continue to. Um, to uh, play with the band now, I'm I'm going out on the 11th to play a show on the 12th um, with the guys in Council Bluffs, Iowa. You know, because I can I have the time free, and right. whenever I can play, I want to play. I mean, you know, Emerson and I have been playing music since we were um, just kids, basically, and uh, so any chance I have to do that, you know, is is what I love to do. You know, I, I really do love. Um, really do love doing it um so but it, it has been difficult you know trying to manage all of the um all of the different things that, I'm, that i've been working on right so now going uh, a few years back who were some of your like musical influences growing up oh you know i mean i listened to all the classics you know the beatles uh stones pink floyd um and you know, I listened to a bunch of classical music as well. Uh, my dad was really into classical music, so he used to play it in the house all the time. Um, but you know, I, I loved I loved pop music. You know, pop music of the '70s and the early '80s, and um, that stuff that I that was always sort of playing in my head, or playing on the school bus, or playing on the camp bus, or whatever. And um, you know, I, I picked up my guitar uh, when I was sort of later in in my in my musical journey um when i was about 15 16 i started playing guitar you know after listening to dave gilmore play on on pink floyd records and you know i just loved listening to those records so i I would you know pick pick up my guitar and learn those songs and that along with led zeppelin and and, uh stones and stuff you know i I, so there's so many um different types of influences that i have um from from that kind of music growing up that it's hard to it's hard to sort of put it onto one thing, you know. Right. So when did you uh, first meet Emerson? 
Well, Emerson and I have known each other since we were in high school. We, we didn't go to high school together, but, but we, we had a lot of mutual friends in, um, in New York City. And we used to hang out in Central Park and, you know, just be kids. Uh, but we didn't really start playing music together until we were 22 when I, I met up with him again in Los Angeles after um, not having seen him for a few years. But we've known each other since, you know, since we were like 16. Yeah, so you're originally from uh, Manhattan or any of the boroughs? I am. I'm originally from, yeah, from New York City. Oh, okay, yeah. I'm, I'm originally from Queens, so. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So when you you know started playing with Emerson, was it kind of like the tonic sound you, you you guys had, you know, a few years later? Or what kind of music were you playing back then? Well, you know, our our, our sound developed over time as we started playing together. You know, we, we started playing together when we were 22 or 21 or 22, and make that first record until we were both 26. Um, so yeah, we were playing for like four or five years together, uh, developing what we were doing. First we started with just like me and Emerson playing acoustic guitars in our room, just, you know, writing songs and, and, and arranging songs and stuff. Um, so it developed over time. You know, it didn't really become the, the sound that you know Today, I, I, I say, you know, like you know, after that first record, until right. we made that first record, we sort of developed the sound during that time as well. Yeah. So, uh, were you just playing anywhere you guys would get an audience, or yeah. just any of you know available yeah. yeah, venue? We were playing anywhere. I mean, I was I was working as a cook at the at the Hollywood Improv. Right. I asked the manager, like, "Hey, can me and my buddy just play our acoustic guitars in the dining room?" You know, we would play wherever we could. Finally, we got a, a regular gig um, at the Mint every Sunday night and started playing with the band there. Um, we played whenever we could at Cantor's Kibitz Room in the 90s. You know, we would just we would just play whenever we could, hmm. wherever we could. Right. So how did you guys get discovered? Uh, you know, that's hard to say. I mean, we... You know, we were we're playing around, and um, you know, I had already been in another band that had a record deal, so I sort of knew people around the record industry, and like people would come see our shows when we when we had them. Um, and eventually, you know, a record label came down who was very interested, and they, they eventually signed us. You know? Yeah, I mean, like in your your first album, you, you guys came out with a bang with a Lemon Parade. It was like one of the best albums of that year. I think it was 96. It was one of my favorite albums back then. You know, it's still a great album to this day. Um, how much did that album change your life? I mean, that album, yeah, I mean, it changed my life. There isn't, you can't quantify how much did it change my life because it changed it at a 180 degree <laughs> angle. Right. You know, like I went from being... Um, having a day job cooking in, in a small restaurant and writing songs at night and gigging to getting in a van and traveling around the world to having a platinum record and a hit song or a number of hit songs and, you know, multi-platinum albums. And, you know, all of a sudden we were making enough money to pay the rent and we were, you know what I mean? Like we, we could do all those things and we traveled around the world. So yeah, I mean, it changed my life in ways that is completely indescribable. Right, so I would imagine you went from playing in front of twenty people to two thousand, and then eventually twenty thousand. Well, yeah, I mean, we we yeah, we went from playing our first show in Cincinnati, Ohio, to Tom and Jackie. Two people were in the audience. The <laughs> next time we came back to Cincinnati, like six months later, there were seven hundred people in the audience. And then the next time we came back to Cincinnati after that, there were you know. 4,000 4, people in the audience. <laughs> so, 
yeah, that it, 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 it built like that over time. Um, and, and in that, our lives changed dramatically. Yeah. All have... of a sudden, we became people who wanted to be rock stars into being rock stars. Right. <laughs> yeah. So how did you come up with the, the band name? We had we had bandied uh, a number of, of names about when we were um, first trying to make our record. And first band name we had was Radio Flyer, but we couldn't use that because right. of the the, um, the wagon. Um, and then eventually, uh, somebody, I don't know, we were in rehearsal or something, and somebody was like, "Go to the tonic because it's a musical term, you know." <laughs> and uh, we all sort of looked at one another and said, "Oh, that's a good name." So we just that just stuck. Right. <laughs>
single, Open Up Your Eyes, was we, that we released, and and that did really well at rock radio, where we had our base, and then we released If You Can Only See That, and sort of had a pop, more of a popular, popular um, coverage. Do you remember where you were the first time you heard one of your songs on the radio? Yeah, I do. As a matter of fact, we were in the van um, driving through New Mexico, um, and all four of us, the four of the original members, me and Emerson and um, a guy named Dan Rothschild and Kevin Shepard, who were the, the original bass player and the drummer, and um, this guy, Caleb Rappaport, who was our very first tour manager. He was a friend of Kevin's. We were all in the van driving through uh, New Mexico, and you know we listened to the radio. We were listening to the radio, and all of a sudden, "Open Up Your Eyes" started playing, and we pulled the van over because we had never heard, you know, our music on the radio before. And it was all pretty spectacular. Right now, um, similar type of question: Where's like the most like interesting place you've heard one of your songs? <laughs> I, you know, I've heard I've heard one of our songs pretty much everywhere. Right. So there isn't really anything all that interesting. I mean, sure, I've been in Home Depot and heard, I've been at the the. Yeah, Ralph's, you know, on on a on a grocery shopping expedition, and I've heard it, and I've heard it on airplanes, and I've heard it in airports, and I've heard it in bus stations, and I've heard it in ca- taxis. You know, I mean, I've heard it everywhere. Um, so I don't know that there's been one place that's any more interesting than another. Right, you're just happy it's playing anywhere, right? <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, definitely thrilled and excited that. Um, you know, our music was was used or used as a touchstone for people, and, and people have been listening to it, and it's been a part of the sort of public um, perception or, or consciousness. You know, right. And then you've had a bunch of songs on movie soundtracks. You know, American Pie, The X Files soundtrack. I think Clay Pigeons. Um, are there any like movies you look back now? It's like you wish you didn't put your song on any of those soundtracks. No, no. I think that you know everything that we've ever done. I don't think we have any regrets. I don't think that we have, you know, any anything that we've done that we wished we wouldn't have done. You know, those movies were great. We went to they screened American Pie for us um, when they asked us to write that song for that movie, and we were all laughing out loud when we saw that. So. You know, everything that we've done, we've been we're really proud of.
Right. I, I, don't, I don't mean like the song in general. I mean just like you know the, the movie itself that you know that your song was attached to. I mean American I Pie was great and like X Files. I really understand. Good. Like yeah. you know we we've tried very hard to make decisions based on the stuff that we want to do and that we're happy with doing. So the answer is still the same. Right. Okay. Now uh, twenty years later, after um, Lemon Parade, you guys decided to do an acoustic version through the you know the crowdsourcing. Uh, what was that experience like? And I'd imagine you were probably overwhelmed with the amount of support you guys got. Um, you know, it was interesting to go revisit those songs. Um, but when we revisited the songs, we, we basically just went back to the way they basically were created, you know, just an acoustic guitar and a couple guys sitting around singing. If you keep on seat away, she loves me, maybe we'd understand why I feel this way. If you keep on there, see how blue her eyes can be when she says, when she says she loves me. Well, you've got your reasons. And you've got your lies And you've got your manipulations They cut me down to size Really, really nice experience for us to to get back together and play those songs 
like we originally intended. Yeah, when you guys uh, took a break, was uh, I'm sure it was just all mutual to kind of work on your own side projects, correct? Well, you know, there comes a point where you, where you want to sort of broaden your horizons with what you're working on. So I know Emerson enjoyed going out and making solo records, and, you know, I, I sort of wanted to do some different stuff and, and ended up, you know, stumbling upon writing music for, for narrative and film and TV and video games. Um, and I know Dan has gotten into managing artists because he was really, you know, as much as he really liked, liked to make music, he also really enjoyed, um, apparently really enjoyed the business aspect of it. So, you know, um, I think that we've, we've all sort of, you know, done the things that we really enjoy doing. Yeah. Now that leads me to my next question about uh, the composing. How did you stumble upon that? You know, I had friends who were doing it for a long time. And when I, back in 2006, when I was trying to figure out what it was I wanted to do um, outside of Tonic, I was uh, interested in that. And they invited me down to their studio and I hung out and watched them work on television shows. And I, I found it really, really thrilling and interesting. So I started to work for them, you know, hang around their studio and help them record and edit and clean up the studio and that kind of stuff. And uh, the longer I did that, the more I really enjoyed the whole process. So um, that's really how I stumbled on it. And you had really no background in composing whatsoever, correct? <laughs> Not really no background, like none. none. <laughs> I, I'd, never, I'd never written a... You know, the only music I'd ever written was with my guitar, right. playing drums or, you know, some rock instruments. And, you know, I, 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 there, was a, there was a really steep learning curve, um, but it's something that I think came pretty naturally to me. And I don't really know why, it just sort of did. Um, from a storytelling standpoint, I, I really, I think I really understood, like, what it meant to use music to help tell a story. You know, and I think that that, that um, experience came from writing songs, maybe, and, and helping to tell the, the lyrical journey, you know, help, help follow the lyrical journey. Right. And you, you certainly nailed it with, uh, obviously, Fargo. I mean, some, some of the best music on TV is yours, quite frankly, and Fargo is phenomenal, the music. How difficult was that? Because it was, you know, based on the movie, having kind of source material to work on and being kind of conscious that it was there. And, you know, I think that 
with every season we've gone farther and farther away from from that and i think that that we've created our own territory you know yes the the movie is iconic and that score was really iconic so for me it was like walking in the shadow of giants you know carter burwell's a um an amazing composer and I'm a, I'm a huge fan of his work you know um, but I didn't want to copy him uh, so I I knew that I was always going to have to write in the same feel the same tone but um, to to make it our own it was a, it was a it was stressful <laughs> it was right. really stressful I bet now how long does it usually take you to first write and then compose an episode well you know I it, it's different for every episode um, and I tend to write a lot of themes before I, I get into writing the episodes. So I have like basic, basic musical ideas um, for the story for the entire 10 episodes. So I can pull from those ideas to, to write the score, um, you know, pull, pull, pull from those themes to write the score. Uh, so I think like, you know, all 10 episodes takes like four months, you know, um, I usually, I usually take about a month to write themes and then each episode usually takes me about two weeks to put together. Okay. Um, yeah, I think the, the last season of the show was probably my favorite music of, of the three. I'm sure you don't have a favorite, it's like picking your, your children, but do you think you've kind of matured? With each season, well, you know, I think that it each each season sort of stood on its own. You know, um, having its own vibe and its own melodies. You know, I, I I had to create new themes for every season because it was a different story every season. I'm already starting to think about what the next one's going to be. Um, but you know, I I I tend to go through phases where, you know, it's like that season one score is my favorite. Oh, the season two score is my right. favorite. Oh, you know, the season three score is really great. That's my favorite. So I sort of go back and forth. And, and what I realize is I don't really have a favorite. Um, I, I love listening to all of it. And, you know, to me, that's the true test of, of, of music for me. Um, if I enjoy listening to it, then that's, that's me having succeeded at what I wanted to do. You know, if I enjoy it, then I've succeeded um, in my eyes. You know, maybe I haven't succeeded in other people's eyes. Right. But um, I go back to the seasons of music from one, two, and three, and I, you know, I enjoy listening to it. So I really don't have a favorite. I think it's all it's all part to a piece. It's all of a piece. You know. Right. I don't think you have to worry about other people not liking it. I mean, what are the, you know, the Emmy nominations and actually an Emmy win? So. I think that's uh, pretty safe to say. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, it's, it's really, it's a wonderful feeling being honored by your peers, you know, and, and people saying like, oh yeah, this is, this is good, this is good music. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, you, 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 try to, you try to satisfy yourself, you know. I, I don't really want to try to satisfy other people, although as an artist, you're always looking for um, acceptance from the people who are listening. You know? Right. And then let's talk about Legion for a second. You mentioned how Pink Floyd was one of your influences in David Gilmour. Uh, there's a lot of, you know, themes of you know, Pink Floyd in your score for uh, Legion. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I like to wear my influences on my sleeve. And when I when I first spoke to Noah about what the show was going to be, we talked about the sound of, of Pink Floyd. And we talked about the sound of Dark Side of the Moon being sort of like the... the um, uh, 
psychotics manifesto of the 70s um and i i love that music so it was a, it was a for me to make music that i've always loved i always dreamed of making an album like wish you were here or the wall or or dark side mood or animals or any of those records which i are i love they're like a part of my dna um and you know getting to write a score that had shades of that um was really really great you know really great yeah I- I mean, Noah is like such a genius of all the shows that he's done. How did you first meet him? Um, we had a meeting on a, a show that he was working on, which was the first show that he ever did on his own called The Unusuals back right. in 2009. Yeah. And uh, he hired me to do that. And then we just became friends because we were sort of kindred spirits in terms of music and how, you know, some of the, the we, we have very similar taste with music. You know, and, and taste is a lot of, a lot of the job you know like sharing taste because music is such an interesting language and not everybody speaks speaks it in the same way you know some people speak one kind some people speak another kind some people like this and some, some people like that we we tend to gravitate towards the same basic musical ideas so we we sort of hit it off right away yeah and then um i guess We'll talk Star Trek now, which I, I'm I'm a Trekkie, Trekker, whatever you want to call it. I'm I'm a big fan of the show, uh, Discovery as well. I'm not quite caught up yet, but I'm I'm getting there. Uh, how did that fall in your lap? I mean, it didn't fall in my lap. You know, like uh, I had a meeting with the producers, and I talked about the kind of music that I thought would be great to help tell this different type of storytelling track, and um, they agreed with me. Uh, I've been a huge Star Trek fan my whole life, um, so or certainly since I was, uh, you know, preteen right. when I started when I when I discovered um, the original series in in syndication, yeah. and then when the when the Next Generation came out in the late '80s, I just like jumped on and became a huge Next Generation fan. I never really got into the later series. Um, you know, I watched a little bit of DS9, but I really didn't watch Voyager, and I certainly didn't watch Enterprise, um, and uh, but. Uh, so I had I had a you know I, I had a, an interest in in wanting to try to be a part of that storytelling you know and when I started talking about how I would like to try to tell the story of Star Trek in in um, in this prequel uh, to the original series they were very interested in um, in the way I described telling that story so I don't know that it fell in my lap I mean you know I. I had a meeting and talked about it and I had an idea right. and had a point of view. And I think that's really important when, when you're, um, when you're making art, you know, and you're doing anything in a, on a committee, you know, the idea is to have a point of view and they either have the same point of view or like your point of view or they don't, <laughs> you know, yeah. um, it's not just about doing what somebody wants you to do. It's about contributing on a. It's about contributing on a on a deep level creatively. Right now, I mean, like there are so many iconic Star Trek composers: James Horner, who did Wrath of Khan, which is still still my favorite. You know, obviously. Yeah, I think I think Wrath of Khan might actually be my favorite Star Trek score. Right. Yeah, and then um, you know the fanfare from you know. Um, Alexander Courage, and then we got... Oh, I mean, well, Alexander Courage's fanfare is, you know, probably the most iconic television music ever written. You're probably right, yeah. 
it's, yeah. it's, it's great. And then, yeah, they incorporate it into the, the later movies in the end credit scenes and then Next Generation's theme, and, you know, Jerry Goldsmith, of course, and then, you know, Michael Gian, uh, Kino. But um, yeah. how, how difficult was it, like, also like Fargo, to kind of separate that and not have that in your mind? Well, that's impossible. I couldn't separate it and not have it in my mind. I I was constantly in fear of people thinking that I'm not as good as Mm. as those guys, and I'm not. And, you know, those – everybody stands on their own. You know, I had something to bring to the table, which is what I bring, you know, me. Um, And they did too. I I can't compare myself to to Jerry Goldsmith. I can't compare myself to Alex and I don't. Um, so every move that I made in my mind, I was, um, you know, trying to separate myself and yet still be inside that world. You know, it's, it's still, I still pinch myself to think that I'm now on a list, on a short list of composers that has worked on, um, Star Trek, uh, on any level, you know, along with Alexander Courage and Jerry Goldsmith and James Horner and, and, and some of the absolute greats of, of the trade, you know, um, but it, it was impossible to separate, and it was terrifying, to me, <laughs> terrifying to right. to write that theme and to write music for the series, and know that people would be comparing. You know, um, at some point you have to leave that behind, and I tried, but you can't. You really can't. Right now, being a fan of the show, have you tried to kind of get yourself on as an extra in, in the crew? <laughs> you know, it's interesting that you say that. Um, I have not yet. But I think I will. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you might as well, right? Put it in your contract. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Just don't be a red shirt, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. But Jeff, this was great. Thank you so much. Um, oh, what, thank um, you. What are you uh, currently working on besides Star Trek? I'm currently working on a Netflix show called The Umbrella Academy. Okay. Um, and I am. That's based on a graphic novel, right? For Noah's first feature directing debut, um, he he's doing a, a, a movie with. Um, with uh, Natalie Portman and John Hamm called okay. Pale Blue Dot. Oh, okay. The Umbrella Academy, that's based on a graphic novel, right? It is. Yeah. All graphic right. novel, comic book, written by Gerard Way. Right. Oh, look forward to seeing that. But, Jeff, best of luck with uh, Season 2 of Star Trek and everything Thank else. You. And uh, talk to you soon. Thanks very much. Have a good one. And a special thanks to Jeff for joining us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Jefferson Russo, jeffrusso.com, tonic-band.com, at tonicband. You can find out all the information right there. If you want to follow me on Twitter, I'm at the first Noel 19 Be sure to like the page for Living My Youth on Facebook. You go to iTunes, you can check out all the past episodes we've had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. The show can be found on SoundCloud, on Podbean. A new episode comes out every Wednesday. We'll see you next time on Reliving My Youth.